So Genesis chapter 1. So just a few verses. We, um, this week and last week, sort of go together. If you weren't here last week, do listen to that online. That was the theological foundation of what we're looking at this week. So last week we looked at a biblical view of our bodies, what the Bible says about that. And this week we're zeroing in on the issue of transgender, but it does fit in with last week. So do listen to that if you missed it. But let me read from Genesis 1, verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In 2015, Vanity Fair featured on its front cover former Olympic champion Bruce Jenner in a provocative pose in women's underwear. And the caption underneath read, Call me Caitlin. Jenna had been identifying as transgender for some time. But now, if you like, the public journey from Bruce to Caitlin had been completed. And this signaled the official launch of the transgender revolution. Now, things have moved pretty rapidly, haven't they, over the eight years since then. And it could all feel rather bewildering. So it's not just that... Um, other celebrities have followed suit. There's also been a huge rise in the number of people who are identifying as transgender. And people who are seeking help, seeking treatment. Children are being taught about it in school. There are now new protocols in our workplaces. Activists, campaigners are very aggressively promoting transgender beliefs. Social media is buzzing with it. Governments are frantically trying to work out policies. Health services are figuring out what the best treatment is. The law courts are having to make judgments. And it's become a hugely, hugely controversial issue. But transgender is not just something out there. For some here, it may be much, much closer to home. So maybe you, or maybe a family member, may identify as transgender or struggling with gender issues. So this is something we all need to think through. And as a church and as individual Christians, we can't just ignore this. We can't just put this in a sort of too-hot-to-handle file. And that's why we're having a talk on it today. So what exactly is this all about? Uh, What are the issues? What is a Christian response? What does the Bible say? Well, inside your service sheets, you'll see on the outline... We're going to first look at what is transgender. So it's helpful, I think, as we begin to define the terms which people are using. Gender identity means your inner feeling, your inner feeling of what sex you are. So, you know, I feel that I'm a man or I feel that I'm a woman or something else. 
And it's completely subjective. So it's what gender you feel you are. And only you can say what that is. Next, gender incongruence is when someone's gender identity, so what gender they feel they are, doesn't match their biological sex. So there's a mismatch between inner feelings and body, biology. And such a person is called transgender. So their inner sense of gender doesn't fit their biological body. Gender dysphoria, the next term on the sheet, gender dysphoria is the distress that often accompanies such a mismatch. So such gender incongruence. So it's the, it's the distress that the person experiences because of this disjunction between their feelings and their body. Then gender-affirming therapy is the treatment that someone is encouraged to go through who is transgender in order to change their body to look and act like the gender they feel. And the steps are social transitioning, so dressing and acting like the gender you feel you are, puberty blocker medication for children and uh, young people, cross-sex hormones and then surgery. And then finally, transgender ideology is the theory, the belief system, that each of us has an innate gender identity which may or may not match your biological sex. And where there is a mismatch, your gender identity, that is the inner feeling of what gender you are, that indicates your real self. That is who you really are. That's the real, authentic you. And so your feelings trump your biological sex. Transgender ideology says that if you experience this mismatch, you are a trans man, or a trans woman, or a trans child, and you should declare yourself to be such, and everyone else must celebrate and affirm this self-declaration. So no one can question it, no one can challenge it. And you should get treatment to change your body to better fit your real gender. And this is seen as being the cure for gender dysphoria and the path to happiness and wholeness. So that is what transgender is. What do we make of that set of beliefs? So let's turn secondly to the question, is transgender ideology right? What does the Bible say, first of all? Well, creation, let me give you four points. Creation, the Bible says, just had it, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Human beings, male and female with different bodies, is God's good design. Jesus said, he who created them from the beginning made them, made them male and female, Matthew 19, 4. So we are made male and female by God with corresponding bodies. So our sex is given to us, not chosen by us. We are created, we are creatures who cannot create ourselves. And so seeking to be a a sex different to our biology 
is basically an attempt at self-creation. We don't have that right. We don't have that power. So God says, let there be light. And it is so. I say, let me be a woman. It is not so. We saw last week that our bodies are key to who we are as people. They are a good gift from God. Our bodies are not just a set of clothes that we can change if we see fit. Secondly, because of the fall, that is the disobedience of the first people and God's judgment on that, because of the fall, we are now broken people living in a broken world. Our human nature has been damaged and distorted spiritually, physically, psychologically. And as a result, we have all sorts of thoughts and desires and feelings which do not correspond with reality. So these desires and feelings are like a broken compass, which doesn't tell us the right direction to go. The Bible tells us that the essence of sin is that we all think, we all think that we have the right to determine how we live, not God. And we all think that the path to happiness is to go our own way and not God's way. By nature, all of us do this, the Bible says. Our thoughts, our desires, our feelings are distorted in all sorts of ways. That's true for all of us. And for some people, their feelings about their gender are distorted. And that is distressing. It is painful for them. But, but that a man feels he is a woman, or a woman a man, it does not mean that they are trapped in the wrong body. All it means is that their feelings are distorted and out of line with reality. Third biblical point would be redemption. In Christ, God has come to rescue us from all our brokenness for himself. Jesus died for our sins. He was raised to life as Lord. When we receive Christ as our rescuer and our ruler, we are forgiven all our sins our relationship with God is restored, and a new life begins. Now, that new life following Christ involves men living as men and women as women and being content with who we are as God made us. So life in Christ does not obliterate the sexes. So when the Bible says in Galatians 3.28, there's now neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, It's not saying there is no distinction at all. It's saying there is no distinction with respect to salvation. It's not saying there's no longer male and female or that we can choose. And in this new life in Christ, we we build our lives on the rock of God's word, not on the shifting sands of our feelings. So we look outside ourselves to him for what is true. We don't look inside ourselves to our feelings. We find our identity in Christ. And God strengthens us by his Holy Spirit to exercise self-control and not just to act on our every desire. And it is this new life in Christ that puts us on the path to health and healing and wholeness, not gender affirmation treatment. Fourth point biblically would be resurrection. Our struggle with brokenness, will only finally be over in the world to come. And that is when we will all be made completely whole who trust in Christ. So God promises those who trust in Christ 
resurrection from the dead to new life in resurrection bodies, as we heard last week, with no more dysphoria, with no more dysfunction, our humanity fully restored. So according to the Bible, transgender ideology is right in identifying that we are broken as people, and it is right in wanting to help people who are suffering, but it is wrong in just about every other respect. Our sex is given, not chosen. Our feelings are unreliable. They are not the ultimate authority. Nobody is in the wrong body. Gender treatment cannot deliver what it promises. It is a false hope. What about a scientific perspective? Well, it actually confirms what the Bible is saying. From the moment of conception, we are biologically male or female. It is binary. So the male has XY chromosomes, the female XX chromosomes. By week 12... In the womb, you can distinguish male or female genitalia. The male develops testes, producing sperm, and the female ovaries, producing eggs. And at the birth of that baby, the sex of the baby is not sort of arbitrarily assigned by medics or parents. The fact of the baby's biological sex is simply recognised. From the moment of conception until the day we die, we are biologically male or female. And nothing can change that. Feelings cannot change it. Medication cannot change it. Surgery cannot change it. So a trans woman will always be a biological man who has medicated himself and undergone cosmetic surgery to try to look like a woman. And a trans man will always be a biological woman. Now, things can go wrong in the development of our sex organs, but then it is a physiological disorder. It's not some sort of third sex, as some people claim. And statistically, it is highly abnormal. So cases, for example, of uh, when the biological sex of a baby is unclear, so what's called intersex, is just... 0.018% of live births. So medical science says that transgender ideology, it's wrong. Trans women are not women. And trans men are not men. And biology is not bigotry, as one of the slogans goes. It's reality. Which brings us to our third perspective. Transgender ideology is not grounded in reality. It's an illusion. It's a delusion. So it's claiming that my inner world, the world of how I feel, that that is reality. That's the real me. That is the the authentic self. That's my true gender. It's not true. Our biological sex is reality. And if we ignore that, it is going to have destructive consequences. You may be aware that the, uh, the gender revolution has introduced a whole host of new terms and new gender identities. So there's something called other kin. Other kin, which is when a person identifies as something non-human. 
And so you might identify as a bird. Some people do. And your feelings tell you, look, this is the real me. You know, I'm, I'm a bird. I'm a seagull. But if you try to fly off the roof of your apartment block, you're going to come up against reality. And it's going to hurt a lot. And tragically, it is the same with transgender, that when we ignore reality, we are going to harm ourselves and other people. Which brings us to the next point, is transgender ideology good? Although the intention may be good, which is to help people who are distressed, it's actually doing the opposite. Because its beliefs are wrong, it's harming them. And in two ways I put on the sheet. So, firstly, transgender ideology harms people physiologically, physically. The treatment it prescribes for gender dysphoria involves four steps I've mentioned briefly. Let me explain a little bit more. So, first, social transitioning. That is, changing your name, your pronouns, and acting and dressing like the gender you feel. Then, secondly, puberty blockers for children and adolescents. Now, puberty is a normal, healthy part of sexual development. Our bodies change, they develop, in line with our biological sex. But these drugs, they block that normal, healthy development because it doesn't match the gender that the child or the young person feels that they are. Now, we cannot interfere like that without causing a lot of damage. And the possible side effects of puberty blockers are very serious. And I understand the NHS is currently in a period of consultation because of concerns about whether such treatment should actually be recommended. The next step, third step, is taking cross-sex hormones. These need to be taken for life, for the rest of your life. And the final step is surgery. And it's irreversible. So for a woman who wants to be a trans man, it involves removing both breasts, removing ovaries, womb, and constructing some artificial genitals. For a man who wants to be a trans woman, it involves implanting breasts, castration, and making some artificial genitals. So, transgender ideology convinces people to alter perfectly healthy, normal bodies through drugs and surgery. It involves lifelong medication. It involves amputation of healthy, natural body parts and replacement with unnatural, usually non-functioning, artificial body parts. All of this with the promise that this is going to solve things. But tragically, it doesn't. It can't. Which brings us, secondly, to the psychological damage caused by transgender. The treatment is wrong because the diagnosis is wrong. The feeling of gender dysphoria must be awful. Um, but it does not mean that you are in the wrong body. We've seen already that part of living in a fallen world is that our feelings are distorted. And very often when someone experiences distress, a mismatch between their gender feelings and their 
biological body is not the only issue. And it may not actually be the primary cause of their distress. And the problem is not actually gender dysphoria, but maybe anxiety or depression or autism. But often these get simply overlooked. Sweden uh, has been at the forefront of the, uh, the gender revolution. Even they are putting the brakes on this for this very reason. So one case which hit the headlines was a man called Michael Cruiser, uh, sorry, Mikhail Cruiser. He changed his gender in his late 20s. He lived as a woman for seven years. But it didn't resolve his discomfort. A new diagnosis then revealed that actually he had Asperger's syndrome as well as ADD, so attention deficit disorder. And so the suffering that he thought was related to his gender was actually due to these different factors. And he said all the pieces of the puzzle fell into place. Similar concerns are being raised here in the UK. Uh, Dr. Hilary Cass led a major independent review of children's gender services, which are based here in London in the Tavistock Clinic. The review was highly critical of this clinic, and the centre is going to be shut down next year. And one of the findings was this, that many children referred to it have complex needs. And it said that very often these are overlooked once a child is just diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And it called for a fundamentally different model of care for children. Kira Bell, uh, she brought a high court court case against this Tavistock clinic. So she was prescribed puberty blockers um, at the age of 16. Later she changed her mind over her decision to transition to become a man. And she argued, she said, look, the clinic, they should have challenged me more on the decision to transition. They didn't do that. When she heard that they're going to be shutting down the clinic, she said, I am over the moon. She said, many children will be saved from going down the path that I went down. I went through a lot of distress as a teenager, and really, she said, really, I just needed some mental health support and therapy. We could add that another way that transgender ideology does psychological harm is it gives people an unstable foundation for life. To say that your feelings are everything, to make your feelings your final authority, to build your life on your feelings, it's building your house on shifting sand. It means that you are just whatever you feel or whatever you say at any given moment. So transgender ideology, however well-intentioned, it is bad for people, it harms them. Who then should we be especially concerned about? Well, obviously all those with gender dysphoria, but especially the young, especially children, especially young people, teens. They need our protection. They need our care. One of the tragedies of transgender ideology is that it reinforces gender stereotypes. So children whose behavior doesn't conform to traditional very rigid gender stereotypes, they're told, are you transgender? You're trans kids. And then they're fast-tracked down a path of gender affirmation therapy. So, you know, if you're a biological boy, 
who loves music and dancing and the color pink, you're told that you're no longer just a creative boy, but you're told, oh, you're a trans girl. You're actually a girl trapped in a boy's body. Or if a biological girl loves sport and is, you know, very, very competitive and so on, she's told, oh, you must be a trans boy. You're actually a boy trapped in a girl's body. And once a child buys into this, once they identify as, I'm this different gender, no one can challenge it. Everyone's just got to affirm it. They've got to celebrate it. We need to challenge these gender stereotypes because they're unbiblical and they're harmful. We need to protect children, not mislead them. I mean, take David as an example in the Bible. He was a tough shepherd, wasn't he? And he he then became a warrior king, fighting all these battles. But he also loved playing music, and he wrote loads of songs, and he expressed his emotions, and he had a very deep love friendship with Jonathan. And let's not impose on children harmful stereotypes of gendered behavior. Another vulnerable group are teenagers. The largest group of patients now referred to gender services at the Tavistock Clinic are teenagers, mostly teenage girls. Now, the teen years are a time of enormous change and development in both body and brain. And teenage angst often goes with that. It is normal, isn't it, for teens to feel worried about changes in their body with puberty, this cascade of hormones going through them. Normal to feel self-conscious, you know, working out who you are, issues of identity, anxious about being accepted by your peer group and so on. It's just part of growing up as an adult. But now all of a sudden, teenagers are being told, something's wrong with you. You've got gender dysphoria. The reason for your angst is that you're in the wrong body. And gender transitioning is the answer. Now, if they're encouraged to go down that path, it cements for life what would have been just a passing phase of discomfort. So the vast majority of them, they'd grow out of any sense of gender confusion in puberty if they weren't exposed to the lies of transgender ideology. Now, teenagers who already suffer from poor mental health or who don't fit in, who feel different, they are especially at risk of being deceived by transgender ideology, at risk of being misled into believing that all their problems will be solved by gender transitioning. The Bible has got a lot to say about protecting and caring for the vulnerable in society, not misleading them. You may be thinking, well, why has transgender ideology taken off in such a big way? Why has it so quickly captured the major institutions in the West? What accounts for the 20-fold rise in youth seeking to transition? Well, first, Western culture. Transgender ideology is riding the wave of what Western culture values at this point in history. Two values in particular... The wrong idea that your inner feelings are the ultimate authority and the real you, and no one can challenge that. And also the right concern to stand up for the rights of the oppressed and the marginalised. 
Secondly, social media. In online forums where teenagers express gender incongruence, the mismatch, this is then very swiftly validated by others as being your transgender. Uh, validated by strangers, by influencers, and by their peer group. On social media, gender transitioning is glorified as being the solution for all emotional and bodily discomfort. And young people, they are even being coached online about how they can convince adults that they are transgender and need to be fast-tracked. Social media may also be partly responsible for the epidemic in teenage health concerns which transgender ideology exploits. As the online perfect body, it fuels, doesn't it, teenage discontent with their own bodies. And through social media, trans identity has become quite fashionable, even cool, and through social media, it spreads rapidly. So people have referred to it as, they call it social contagion. And that, you see, is why in some schools, they found that 10% of pupils can suddenly identify as transgender. It's what's called rapid-onset gender dysphoria. Third, pornography. The laptop, the smartphone has triggered a pornography epidemic. And many girls are rightly disgusted by what they see, and they think, well, they have to perform like that, they have to do these things to be a real woman. And so they don't want to be a woman. They don't want to be that kind of woman. And so they see changing their gender as a sort of way of escape. And then fourthly, aggressive enforcement. Transgender ideology is being very aggressively promoted, as we'll all be aware. Through teaching, through books, videos, social media. And any who challenge it are cancelled, condemned as haters, transphobic. So if you question someone's self-declaration about their gender, or if you won't affirm it, you are accused of oppression, you're accused of violence. In some places in the world, it's even illegal to do so. So people are basically scared of standing up to this ideology. Parents are intimidated by the perceived threat of their kids committing suicide if they don't fast-track them for treatment. So if their girl feels she is a boy, the parents are told, would you rather have a living son or a dead daughter? Now, in fact, transitioning increases suicide risk. So suicide rates are 20 uh, 20 times higher in the post-surgery transgender population. Well, finally, how should we respond? Above all, with love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as individuals, as a church family, we are to love And we are to care for those who are struggling with gender incongruence. We're not to condemn them. We're not to judge them. And love begins with listening, with careful listening. So if your child is struggling with with gender identity issues, first thing to do is to listen to them. Listen carefully. Assure them of your unconditional love and listen. And love is compassionate. 
So recognizing, look, we're all, we are all broken people without exception. We all have distorted feelings and desires. In that sense, we're all in the same boat. But secondly, love does not just mean affirming people. Love tells people the truth. Speak the truth in love, the Bible says. And it means, it means that love speaks the truth. The biblical truth about our bodies, about male and female. So we need to counter the lies of transgender ideology. It is a false belief system. It misleads people. It harms people. It gives them false hope. And so we oppose that system because we love people. And so, and this is really important, our protest is not against people who are struggling. Our protest is against the ideology which deceives them. It's a big difference. So if, for example, if a man here at the barge, let's say a man here at the barge married with kids, if he suddenly announced he is a woman, what would we do? We would begin with careful listening. Why are you doing this? What has brought you to this point? We then want to explain a biblical view of the body and gender. We then want to go on to urge him to, to pause transitioning and to consider the effects, not just on himself, but on his family. We'd want to encourage him to go to see a Christian counsellor. But to affirm his unreal feelings that he is a woman, that would be an unloving thing to do for him and also for his family. Ultimately, the truth we want to share is the good news of Jesus. Transgender ideology is a false gospel. Jesus is the one who can truly help us in our brokenness, in our suffering, in our pain. So it's in Jesus that we find forgiveness and comfort. It's in Jesus we find new life and healing. In him we find strength for today and hope for tomorrow. It's in Christ that we find a solid rock on which to build our lives rather than the shifting sands of transgender ideology. We want people to discover the stable sense of self through knowing him. Responding with truth also means teaching our kids, our young people, what the Bible says about gender, the goodness of our bodies, the biological reality of puberty and healthy bodily development. We need to be talking about these issues, ideally before they come up. But responding with truth is going to require courage. Transgender ideology, as we've said, is being aggressively promoted and enforced. And those who oppose the revolution, those who won't celebrate it, won't affirm, they're cancelled, they're persecuted. I mean, the response to J.K. Rowling was a case in point, wasn't it, when she um, dared to speak out against transgender ideology. And although she was such a legend, people turned on her very quickly. She was subjected to appalling online abuse. Many of the cast members of the Harry Potter films, they criticized her, they distanced themselves from her. So it'll require courage. Does courage mean that we should refuse to use people's preferred pronouns? Christians differ on this. Some won't use them because they would say to do so helps to legitimize the lies of transgender ideology. Other Christians do use them, 
And they say it shows respect, it preserves the relationship with the person, and it leaves the door open to share the gospel. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, we need to come to our own, conclu- our own convictions on that one. But whatever your view on that, when it comes to declaring your own pronouns, as Christians, surely we'd want to say no to that. So don't put them in your email signature. Don't put them in your bio. Don't announce them at meetings. And if invited, just say, well, no, thank you. And if you push, say, it's not the practice I follow. But lastly, we should also respond with hope. In the end, the truth will win. And so as Christians in a world that seems to have gone mad, we need to keep calm and carry on. The tide is turning. There is an increasing global awareness of the dangers of this affirmation-only approach. An awareness of the need to give people time to reflect, to explore, rather than fast-tracking them. An awareness of the value of a more cautious approach. So encouraging people to continue to live according to their biological sex while helping them through therapy to explore other underlying causes of their distress. Detransitioners are speaking out. They're making a difference. So people like Kira Bello, I mentioned, who sued the Tavistock Clinic. Sports people are speaking out. They're speaking about, about the injustice of transgender women being allowed to compete in female-only events. Feminists are speaking out about the damage to women's rights if transgender women are allowed to use single-sex spaces, female toilets, changing rooms, prisons. And so as Christians, let's stand firm in love, in truth, in courage, and in hope. And if you're someone who is struggling with gender issues, we would love to talk with you We'd love to walk with you, and we'd love to share with you the hope and the strength that we have found in Christ. Let's pause for a moment to reflect on what we've heard, and then we're going to join together in prayer.